If you knew someone was in danger or already being terribly hurt nearby, you would likely try to get them help right away, calling on emergency services or whoever you thought could step in and protect the vulnerable. But there are many people in danger and already being hurt, near and far, and we don't act on what we don't know. Thankfully, committed individuals and groups are trying to connect people who need help with people who can help them. I'm Sheila Lagminas, and you're in the Forum. Turn on the news or read it online or in some other printed form, and you're likely to see politics leading and filling the top news stories of the day covered each day and most hours of the day, And then some COVID updates on, say, vaccines and other important news on that. But there's so much more going on in our country and our world that doesn't get covered. And people are dying to have you hear it. Joining me to cover that is my friend and colleague in Human Rights Initiatives, Jason Jones. He hardly needs an introduction. So many people know him or know of him. Jason's a filmmaker, human rights activist, and co-author of The Race to Save Our Century, Five Core Principles to Promote Peace, Freedom, and a Culture of Life. Jason's founder of Movie to Movement and a worker on behalf of the most embattled, most important cause on earth, the dignity of the human person. Jason's other book is titled The World is on Fire, a Whole Life Reader. Jason, welcome back. It seems like, boy, more, more than when your book came out, that second one, The World is on Fire, the world really is on fire. Yeah, unfortunately, Sheila, the world is on fire. And, um, you know, it, it begins to rage more and more every day. But yeah. uh, it's the Catholic moment. I know you call it that. And, and there's, there's several things I want to clarify for our listeners about what you do. I know it, but I, I want you to clarify it for them. So when people go to thegreatcampaign.org about the Vulnerable People Project, it's all of a piece for Jason Jones. Everyone, I want everyone to know that. You do all of it and you put it together so people can access all the things you do. In the Vulnerable People Project, which people find at thegreatcampaign.org, you've got t- the tabs at the top and one of them is this Catholic moment. What did you mean by that? You know, to me, it's the, solid, the, the, the Catholic in the public space, it's through the principle of, of solidarity. And when do we want to be with our Lord? Well, when he's at the cross. I think of the Pieta as the perfect symbol of Christian solidarity. So, you know, we've heard that term before the Catholic moment when in the early 2000s, there were all of these movements that were so strong. And the mm-hmm. church, even in the spite of the scandal that, that we had in the early 2000s, it kind of seems like the good old days where we'd go to conferences all of the time where tens of thousands of people were there and they'd be selling books and DVD sets and, and there seemed to be all these great resources and it was seemed like a real renaissance, but that's not the Catholic moment. The Catholic moment is when we're in the midst of a world that is broken and sorrowful. The Catholic moment is in that, the Valley of Tears. The, the Catholic moment is, um, I think of when Ishmael was being sent away I, I want to be with those who are lonely, who are lost, who are hurting. That's, that's what the principle of, of um, solidarity, solidarity really is. So the world needs Catholics now more than ever. 
and, and you've pointed out before, and probably on that same site, the Grand Ca- GreatCampaign.org, and in your writings, your other writings, Jason, that while we've had as as Catholics disciples in mission out there in the world, engaging uh, the, the protection of the vulnerable, being voices for the voiceless, and so forth, it's really, really good that in these times we've had the collaboration of other Christians along with the Catholic Church. So I think you brought up like, you know, for instance, under the HHS mandate, when Hobby Lobby, you know, evangelical Christians and Little Sisters of the Poor were all fighting in tandem, if you will, in the Supreme Court over their fundamental rights to religious freedom, which really then comes down to also the rights to protect the vulnerable. And so that's why this is a Catholic moment. We've been doing this for a long time. So have other Christians. It's really important to unify and not be splintered into different groups. That's how, that's how evil prevails when, you know, good people are not in solidarity. I love that you bring that up because for a long time now, I've been saying we need a solidarity movement in America. And I don't mean a copy of the one Solidarność in, in Poland, I, but I meant something like this, Jason, and you, you, I, you never heard me say that, but you thought the same thing. So you and I are always thinking alike and ex- exactly spot on. We need to be in solidarity and we need to do so in an active way that is a movement that's making a difference. It's one thing to think alike and to talk alike. It's another thing to act on that. And we have to now because we're under new threats and we're going to be facing them in the very near future. Yeah, and not only are we facing new threats, but uh, the world has found a very clever way through doxing and destroying Mm -hmm. those who would dare go near the vulnerable. So as we have more and more people exposed to violence, we have fewer and fewer defenders. You know, our, our mutual friend, Carter Sneed, from the Center for uh, Ethics and Public Policy at Notre Dame, has a new book, what it, means, what it Means to Be Human. You know, he's our friend. He's a lawyer. He wrote this book. He sent me an early copy before it was published. And, I, and I, I'm ashamed to say I didn't read it. You know, so many of our friends write books and they pile yeah. up. And, and I thought, you know, this book is, um, is probably outside of my area of expertise or knowledge because he's a legal philosopher. But, you know, the Wall Street Journal just named it one of the most important books of the year of 2020. And so I thought I have to read Carter's book. I sat down to read it this past weekend. And you talk about us thinking alike. Uh, um, I read this book, and I think it's one of the most important books written in the past 100 years. You know, what Carter said in this wow. book, what it means to be human, is that law has now is increasingly divorced the will from the body. So our identity is no longer grounded in our body, but our will. But he said the body is what makes us human. The body is what makes us vulnerable. You know, whether you're in a car accident, you suffer brain damage, or whether you have Parkinson's disease and you're elderly, or you're a child in the womb. It's the body that makes us vulnerable. It's the body that that really the law should be grounded in this idea of vulnerability. And as we, you know, we've often talked about the preferential option for the vulnerable. He's this brilliant legal philosopher. And what he, the case he makes is that when you separate when the law forgets the body, he says the law, we have to, the law needs to remember the human body. When the law forgets the body, the law has abandoned the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Only those who can act out the desires of their will will have a place where the law recognizes them. So he says the law is evolving as it's forgotten the body. 
it has completely left those who are vulnerable behind. Mm. And so that is what it is to be Catholic. And he doesn't ground it in Catholic social teaching. He does say we have to ground it in the human person's lived experience. And it has to be grounded in a, in a proper, in an understanding of the human person that, that we have all experienced, which is we've all experienced what it's like to be sick, to be vulnerable. I think I was on your show a day or two before I almost died a couple of years ago uh, with something called exertional rhabdomyolysis and um, ended up being hospitalized for a, a, two weeks, I think, yeah. um, in, in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, when I was there to give a speech. You know, and my wife said, seeing you in a hospital gown, an ocean in a continental way was horrifying. What she was seeing mm -hmm. is her husband, she thinks of as this strong man. She was seeing that actually, no, no, I'm a human person and I'm vulnerable and I can, I can be vulnerable. So what is the cat? What do I mean by the Catholic moment? It's exactly that, that what Carter Sneed is saying the law should do a preferential option for the vulnerable, a thoughtlessness to the human person in their vulnerability that that's what we as lay Catholics really should, because we have the church's teachings, we have the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we have grace. So we need to really, and even for us, it's hard. No one wants to be doxxed, destroyed, alienated. To stand with the vulnerable is to become as vulnerable as them because they're vulnerable because they don't have defenders. They're vulnerable because they have been shunned um, by the spirit of the age. We need to stand with those who have been shunned by the spirit of the age. And that's what you do in everything you do. Jason, I've had any number of pro-life leaders, Ryan Bomberger and uh, Walter Hoy and all kinds of pregnancy help center leaders in the country and, and, and champions like yourself and the late great, God rest his soul, um, Joe Scheidler and the Scheidler family and so many, I mean, Lila Rose, so many people in the pro-life world on my show talking about all the different initiatives and activities and in things that are going on, the services offered to women, the services to help women when it comes to that, the area of abortion, all the way through then, I've covered a lot of euthanasia or assisted suicide, though they've re, the people behind that have returned that. So it's that's the word suicide is no longer there. It's compassion and choices. Compassion is a very Christian word meaning to suffer with, but language is another thing for, well, another time, but part of it is this conversation to call things something other than what they are in order to reform and shape people's opinions and therefore win them over to these ideologies. But but to your, your point about these activities, you have been that voice for the voices, but not just saying these things and, and giving the talks you give to and alert people's consciences and raise them and so forth. You've also been on the front of, of everything. As we speak, it's the uh, International Day of Awareness against human trafficking. And it's also for the Catholic Church, the feast day of St. Josephine Baquita, famous, was she was a slave who then, you know, won her freedom, if you will, or was recognized once she was taken to Italy where they didn't have slavery, it wasn't legal. But what a story that is. And, and here we are, that's a whole class of human beings denied their rights, their human rights, because they could be the property of others. I've always seen the direct analogy between that and abortion. So let's talk about that, Jason, because of the threats to human life that, that as you say, Carter Sneed at Notre Dame has pointed out so importantly, in his book, because that's true, that when the law forgets the body, the person, the law then abandons the vulnerable. And we're all about protecting and spreading awareness of the vulnerable. Yeah, well, you know, and you have to think about 
we don't think of, of slave that there's slavery today. There's, there is slavery manifests itself in so many different ways. And we could imagine that we don't profit from slavery, but um, the reality is that, that I may be talking to you through a computer that was in some way assembled by people who were working in under forced labor, separated from their families and trafficked mm -hmm. across China from East Turkestan to different parts of China. And so, you know, again, we want to, we want to resist the temptation to be perceived as good by standing up against distant injustices where those around us have no stake. Um, so we want social prestige because we're standing up against something where nobody around me would be offended. So, um, but the reality is there are those distant atrocities like uh, the slavery of the, of the Uyghur uh, where all of us in some way are benefiting from because the, the iPhone cost me $320 rather than what do they say it would cost uh, if it was made in the United States, $5,000. Oh. And we, we want to, to, you know, we don't want to seem like, you know, nags running around pointing out these, these uncomfortable truths, but these are truths. And we live in a world where still today, there are millions of people who are working in slave labor like conditions. They're working in forced labor conditions. Um, and this is directly connected to our vision of the human person. And that is what the gospel is really, really the good news. You know, we're telling people that there's a God, that there's a God that loves them, that created them, that holds them into existence, that this God made them in their in his very image and likeness, and that, that each and every human being you come across is the most precious thing in the created cosmos. This is the grace that we have as Catholics. This is how, this is how our faith teaches us to see the human person. Not that we're not dinged and manipulated and perverted mm -hmm. by, the, uh, by the ideologies of our age. Uh, all of us have had our vision blurred, um, but we know we know the dignity of the human person. We know who we are. We know who our neighbors are. And that is such a great grace of being Catholic. And that's why I say this is the Catholic moment. The darker the world becomes, even if my light is very dim, <laughs> in this dark world, it can be seen a very long way. Well, in speaking of darkness, on your site, thegreatcampaign.org for the Vulnerable People Project, I love that you have a quote there from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, and that you go on to say that Fulton Sheen commented that, quote, Catholics have no zeal in all truth. Evil has no truth in all zeal. So, Jason, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of books coming out by different publishers in a lot of places on evil and the devil. And, and, and Pope Francis actually has frequently talked about the devil all throughout his pontificate. Interesting that the, the big elite media think, don't think twice. In fact, they loved it in the earlier years to cherry pick Pope Francis all the time, what he says, and only run with that if it fits their narrative or their view of the Catholic Church or sticking it to the Catholic Church. Aha, see, he said things like, you know, that, that, that fits our agenda, like it's a new church for a new day or something like that. But they never, Jason, cited Pope Francis talking about the devil and the existence of the devil and what he has said about the evil of abortion. So this is something we have to, in this laity stepping up, as Fulton Sheen said, it's, 
it's a, a time for the laity to be out there in the world telling the truth about the human person. And that's what you're, you're doing in all of your initiatives. On, on that point, so let's talk about one of the ways you're doing it in Movie to Movement, which you founded, is a way of reaching people about these very truths. Different classes of people persecuted, the unborn in the womb, all the way through euthanasia, the people in the, the harm's way of even potential genocide, the trafficked people that we're talking about, you've done that through movie to movement. And there's a very important film you have out right now that kind of brings all this together. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So it's, it's big for us because every movie I make, I say is was the hardest movie I ever made. It's hard to make a movie. <laughs> and it's every time, you, you know, 60% of movies are made by first and last time producers. I've worked on over 50. I think this is my 12th I've produced. And it's, it's challenging. I mean, it's not easy, but nothing in life is easy, right? Mm. You run a restaurant, that is the hard, hard thing. You know, you're a dentist. These are hard jobs. Making a movie like everything else is very challenging. Making a movie in the time of COVID and seeking distribution, wow. I mean, that was, you know, yeah. theaters closed on us. And, um, but yeah, Movie to Movement and the Vulnerable People Project are two programs of, of the Human Rights Education and Relief Organization, our, our organization HERO. Our mission is to do one thing two ways. The one thing we do is to defend the vulnerable from violence. Two ways we do that is tell the truth about the human person and then try to inspire solidarity with the vulnerable. A great way to tell the truth and inspire people as movies. So we make movies. We've been a part of a lot of movies. Bella, The Stoning of Soraya M, Crescendo. Our latest film is Divided Hearts of America, starring Benjamin Watson. Benjamin Watson uh, caught a lot of passes from Tom Brady, and uh, we're all you know amazed at Tom Brady this week <laughs> and what he's been able to do. Well, Benjamin Watson and I and our team, Chad Bonham and, and, and Elizabeth Kennedy Reisowitz, and our other partners, we, we were two years ago, we wanted to make a film that would be useful in sort of our shared mission of, of promoting human dignity. And we understood that the 2020 election year, 2020 would be a very divided year. We never imagined it would be what it has become. But we wanted to make a movie that would sort of answer the question, why are we divided? Benjamin Watson set out in this documentary, Divided Hearts of America, to seek what is the root cause of our division, and then what should we do to heal our country or heal this divided country? And so what Benjamin Watson discovered, um, you know, Super Bowl champion, brilliant man, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, like sharp as a tack, uh, he set out to discover why are we divided? And what he discovered was we're divided because we've lost faith in the declaration principle that we're endowed by God with inalienable rights. That that principle, not our culture, not our tradition, not geography, not um, ethnicity, we're not united in any of those things. We're everything, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the source of what has been the source of our unity? A shared vision of the human person found in the declaration principle. Literally that principle has been with us since before we were actually even a country. That, that when, when we broke from Britain, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. That truth, that anthropology, I call it, that vision of the human person was taught to the world. It's not a Catholic movie, but we know. It's taught to the world by the Catholic church. The church came to understand that truth through the incarnation 
through the resurrection. And as the gospel spread, the church really refined its understanding of who we were. What did uh, Jewish scriptures mean when it said we're made in the image of God? What does it mean for the second person of the Trinity to become man? What does it mean for there to be three persons and one God? This is where the idea of personhood came from. This is where, so when the founding fathers call it self-evident, well, if it was self-evident, it would be everywhere proclaimed from the rainforests of Brazil uh, to the most remote parts of Tibet. But no, it was, it was the teachings of the, of the, it's the, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of the human person is revealed to the world through the Catholic church, the Christian religion. But that is what Benjamin Watson discovered, that declaration principle is the source of our unity. Abortion is the third great denial of that truth. There have been others, segregation, and before segregation, slavery. And so the documentary shows how they're all linked. Slavery, segregation, and abortion are actually startlingly linked in ways that you couldn't really even imagine. And, and the way they're most clearly connected is they deny the truth about the human person as presented through the Declaration of Independence and protected by the Constitution. Um, so if we want to heal our country, if we want a unified country, then we have to really assent to the truth of the human person as embedded in the Declaration Principle. It's now everywhere. We, we were on Salem Now, which you can still stream it on Salem Now. You can buy it uh, or rent it wherever you download your movies. So That's Amazon great. or YouTube, uh, wherever you download or buy and buy your movies, you can, you can watch Divided Hearts of America today. That's perfect, and that's what we, we want everyone to do, because you know people aren't getting into movie theaters these days, whether they're open or not. They're, it's just a different day. Yet they are streaming things, they're downloading things. That's that's even like in the radio world. There's so much people are realizing, hey, I can download my favorite podcasts, and each time there's a new one posted, it'll go right into my lineup, and then I listen at my convenience. So they're doing that, and they're doing the same thing, Jason. Whether it's YouTube or other ways, they they download or stream. Uh, videos of their favorite, say, TV series, instead of doing it through a cable service, they'll go do it through, um, I don't know, one of those methods you just named, and suddenly they can see the lineup of things they have subscribed to, and they, are, they can find Divided Hearts of America. What did Benjamin Watson find was the reason for the divide? Why, are we unable to talk with each other if you, if you consider yourself pro-choice and then, on the other hand, pro-life, or what? I think the visible signs of division would have no connection to abortion, right? So it's as if we can't even identify the root cause of our division. But really at the heart of it, it's abortion has undermined our belief in the inviolable dignity of the human person mm -hmm. and the same way slavery and segregation did. And so all these little, all these other, I shouldn't call them little issues, but I would call them dependent, they're subordinate, they, they descend from in sort of a gene genealogy of subhumanism that is really grounded in slavery and segregation, so much to the point that the Supreme Court found the right to abortion in the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment was the amendment to the Constitution that made slaves citizens. How in the world did the Supreme Court 1972, 1973, how did they discover the amendment that was designed to make slave citizens to acknowledge their dignity and their personhood? How did a movement that was driven by radical eugenicists, racists, how did the Supreme Court find in the 14th Amendment the right to abortion? It's haunting. 
it's haunting. And I think of what Mark Twain said, that history doesn't repeat itself, but history rhymes. And mm. slavery, segregation, and abortion rhyme. And it's a rhyme, it's, it's, it's a discordant melody that denies the truth about the human person. And let me say the director, Chad Bonham, and, the, and, and, and Betsy Kenny Reisowitz, and our director, of photographer, our director of photography, they were so amazing. They did such a good job. My sister messaged me yesterday. She said, brother, this is the most important film you've ever done. Wow. What I would say about Divided Hearts of America is, and I always share this with our, our team, like it has to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Crescendo is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Bella is beautiful. Our movie Stoning of Sriam is haunting and beautiful. Both. This documentary is really, it's, it's beautiful. It is, it is really, it honors the subject of the film, which is the human person. There's no one else in the world that could have narrated this film and gone on this journey. But, you know, Ben Watson in the beginning of the film says that sort of the inciting incident is of his commitment to the child in the womb was being with his father at Gettysburg. So this young boy, Benjamin Watson, on the battlefield of Gettysburg with his father, he knew that abortion and slavery were connected in some way. Mm. He knew that the way he could honor the sacrifice of those young men that died at Gettysburg would be to stand with the vulnerable today. Wow. And, and that's what, you know, I always remind people, when you read the diary of Anne Frank, the first question you should ask yourself is who's hiding in the attic today? Mm. What question. Young, you know, what young woman is hiding in the attic today? Let me stand with her. And that's what this young Benjamin Watson did. He is a young boy on the battlefield of Gettysburg. He asked himself, who is abandoned from protectors today? Let me stand with them. See, Jason, that's why I, I opened the way I did. People can turn on their favorite news station, whether it's cable or one of the major networks or whatever, if they're going to turn it on. If they, if they read it online or they read it in some other form, say a traditional newspaper, however, however they get their news, it's almost certainly going to start out with and stay on for a while politics. And then after that, you'll get some coronavirus news, whether the vaccine or the spread or the latest on lockdowns or shut-ins or school openings or whatever. And then if they get anything more than that, it's, I don't know, maybe some local weather or some weather event that's regional because our country's been kind of hit back to back to back with storms this winter. So that's the kind of stuff they hear. But you and I both know there is major news going on around the world for, for vulnerable people. And they literally are, that wasn't a, no pun intended there, dying for us to hear about it. The Uyghur, or the, the genocide of the Uyghur. So going back for a while, I mean, all of this comes together. Why? Why? Because the child in the womb, the whole class of human beings in the womb are so vulnerable and in danger of death. And, and, and so, are, so are the vulnerable dying at the other end of life. And, and then other vulnerable people, like when you say the stoning of Soraya M, when you have movie to movement covering these things, it shows us this, but we can't just look away and not, or not know about this. So we have had for a while now, I saw it reported somewhere, thankfully, but it wasn't a mainstream media. It was uh, that, that there was footage, drone footage showing hundreds of blindfolded and shackled Uyghur men being boarded onto trains, which is of course reminiscent of World War II. It, they, were, they were being sent to so-called re-education camps, which were in reality concentration camps. And then the Chinese officials months ago 
brazenly insisted that those camps were, quote, vocational education schools no different from those in Western nations. Except we know that all that barbed wire and guard towers and massive concrete walls that surrounded the Uyghur in captivity, that they were being terrorized. And then, Jason, that was months ago. I just read the beginning, only the beginning, maybe shame on me for not going further or maybe a lack of time at the moment, but a BBC article just a few days ago. And the headline of it was, a quote, their goal is to deny or to destroy everyone. And that's a, that's a quote from oh, the Uyghur camp detainees alleging systematic rape. Why could I not read this much further? Because the first couple of sentences, and they, weren't, they give you a warning, an alert for the reader. This is going to be very difficult to read. Just so you know, they tell you up front, this is very distressing reading, this story. And, and the woman starts to describe the systematic rape that went on and she was one of the targets until she got freed. But this is happening. So Jason, when people don't know and then we tell them or the news like the BBC tells them, we have a duty to act on this and a duty to act on you know, the pro-life front around abortion clinics. And I don't know about you, but I'm not seeing a whole lot more activity. What should we be doing? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to look at our station in life, our place in life where we can be a strong voice and a strong witness. And I think we should start with where we have local connections, where we have real roots, where we have a powerful voice. And so the most obvious place to me to start is your local crisis pregnancy center. When a young woman walks into a pregnancy center with that child in her womb, at that moment, she walks to those doors. She is truly one of the most vulnerable people in the world. She's also your neighbor. She lives in your community. And so I think your local crisis pregnancy center is just a really good place for all of us to start. And then, you know, the natural affinity, natural connections. Are you Vietnamese? You know, are you from Burma? Are you ethnically Polish? And then, then you're going to have these are you Cuban. Like these, these things are where we're connected and we can work through our community. Are you a Christian from Iraq? Are you a Syrian or Chaldean? And then, you know, you really should serve your community as so many people do. Even, even with my organization, we don't go gallivanting around the world looking to um, right wrongs and slay dragons. It really is all sort of began organically. Our work in Iraq began with my opposition to the invasion of Iraq, saying it would lead to genocides of ethnic and religious minorities when the U.S. withdrew. When the U.S. withdrew, I became a voice saying we left, you know, it's going to be horrible. As you remember, Sheila, we were together. Mm -hmm. uh, here it comes. And then it came. It did. So it was just, it began sort of organically. We saw this. I had connections, uh, strong connections in the Christian communities of Iraq. Again, with China, when the Uyghurs came to me, seeing the war, they came to me saying, hey, we love what, you know, we're seeing what you're doing for the Kurds and the Christians of the, of the Nineveh Plains. Can you speak up for us and work with us? And I, and I said, well, what does it have to do with me and my country? And, you know, how, how, how do I have a voice here? And they walked me through how brands like Nike and Coca-Cola and Apple computers and Costco were, were partnering with contracting companies that are using forced labor, Uyghur forced labor. Then I realized I had these very products in my house, in my home, on my feet. And now I see this is, I'm culpable, I'm involved. So we got involved. So look, look of where your connections are. All of us are part of our neighborhoods. So all of us should be working with our local pregnancy center. Then another way is, you know, go to thegreatcampaign.org or movie to movement, see what we do. 
support us, you know, for uh, become a monthly. I always tell people, like, what can I do? You know, $5 a month to, to thegreatcampaign.org. As you know, Sheila, I tell them, I can promise you, you will be shoulder to shoulder with the most vulnerable people in the world every month. You go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor. I promise you every month, you'll see what we're doing. You will be shoulder to shoulder with the most vulnerable people in the world. And we punch above our weight. We really do a mm -hmm. good job of advancing the interests of the vulnerable. You know, we really work to run aggressive influence campaigns in the press, uh, even through Hollywood and through the entertainment industry to make sure that the, the voices are being heard uh, of these communities that are vulnerable. And, you know, it, it changes. We worked a lot in Sudan during the genocides in Sudan. Yeah, I know. Uh, I tell my Uyghur friends, I cannot wait. Now I, I say, I cannot wait till the day I never take your call again mm. because the camps are closed and the Uyghur are freed. Uh, and I got other, I got other battles to mm. fight. Um, and, and that is my prayer. I really am hopeful for this year that we, we see an end to the war in Yemen, which has just been sorrowful. And yeah. um, I will say that I'm, I'm pleased that the Biden administration says that U.S. involvement and that war is going to uh, tone down. I thought he was going to ramp it up, seeing that it was the, the Obama administration that really stepped on the gas there. Um, it looks like maybe we'll be withdrawing from that tragedy, um, that horrible mess. And I'm also very hopeful, again, when we, we, we look to make progress, you know, on the abortion issue right now, it could feel hopeless. It's not hopeless. It doesn't matter who has the House, the Senate, or the White House. I'm going to save babies in my neighborhood to make sure my pregnancy center is placing ads in all the social media outlets. And every young person in my city is going to see these ads. And again, there's, we can make some real gains. I think the, the Pope especially is not, he's been quiet. We have not heard but maybe one sentence ever from Pope Francis on the Uyghur. It's very sorrowful. If the USCCB and Pope Francis were to open their mouth, and this is something that this audience can make happen. Mm -hmm. I know there are bishops listening. It is a great shame. The silence of the bishops on the greatest genocide of the 21st century. If the bishops and the, and, and, and the Holy Father were to open their mouth for the Uyghur, China would really be in a position to close those camps. They would have to close those camps. How amazing is it, Sheila, that us, your audience, and you and I, you've lent your audience for me to do some big things before. This audience, there are influential people listening to this. Bishops, people have the ears of cardinals and bishops. There are people in Rome listening to this. Could you imagine if the concentration camps were closed in Europe before the Wanshi conference that led to the extermination of the Jews in Europe? Oh. We can yeah. do that. We can do that. There's a lot of death in these concentration camps, but they are not yet full-fledged death camps. Just like the concentration camps in Europe were not at first full, there was a lot of death. Mm -hmm. But after the Wannsee Conference, they became literally extermination camps. How amazing if we would have never known of that crime because it was stopped. We can really close these camps down where there is forced rape, where there is a lot of murder, or there is organ harvesting like that's unimaginable. But imagine if we could close them down before they continue their drift to outright extermination camps. This is something that only Catholics can do. Maybe some executives at Apple and Nike and Costco and Coca-Cola. But this is something that is really, really within our power to do. And, and to tell people, because, you know, Jason, it would, it would be great if we could get 
every news outlet to cover this. I mean, if they were even so inclined, if they had producers on staff there who, who look at things the way we do and say, yeah, you, we'll, we'll cover the, the most important political news of the day because politics is where policy gets made. And that's very important that we want to be a part of the political process to help shape policy to be moral policy. So that's important to cover to a point. But, but people are so addicted to all of it. And it's, it's kind of wall to wall a lot of times. And a lot of people addicted to that are in the news business. But if only the news outlets would cover this, but then we can't say, we can't go through our, our day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year lives with, with the if only. I think those are two very sad words in the English language, language, if only. Well, then let's think, you know, another way. Let's think about other, as you have, Jason Jones, initiatives that we can do. And that is what you're doing in every way you can, including right now on this podcast show. And that's telling people what's happening in China when you say the forced labor camps, and that's part of it. Senator Marco Rubio actually introduced legislation in 20, I think late 2020, creating a rebuttal presumption, and that's what it was called, that goods from this particular Xinjiang province are produced uh, products of forced labor and therefore ineligible for import to the United States. Now, I'm not sure where that went, but then came news after that. And in addition to all of the above, you know, the, the, the re-education camps, they called them, which are concentration camps, and torture goes on there, that China is engaged in a policy of forced abortion and sterilization against Uyghur women. In fact, a Uyghur doctor who escaped to Turkey told ITV that she, the doctor, had performed up to 600 forced abortions and removal of wombs. In one case, she said the baby was still moving. Sorry to have to say this, but when it was dropped... Well, let's just say when the baby was then killed. And, and the Chinese population of Xinjiang province is growing while the Uyghur birth, birth rate has plummeted by 60%. And as you said, what, to, to what you said about when you first told the Uyghur who asked you to help them spread the word, you had the right question that a lot of Americans at, in their homes are probably wondering, Jason, well, what does this mean to me? Or what does this mean for me and for America? I got a whole lot of problems I'm already facing. Our country's got a lot that we're facing. What does that over there mean to me? What would you tell them? Yeah, well, they had the answer. You know, uh, people in India, I get, I get emails all the time, passion emails, you know, can you speak on this or that? Well, we're a small mm-hmm. organization with so much budget and bandwidth. Um, what the Uyghurs shared with me, which was true, is it, it seemed so unbelievable, you don't want to believe it. And then as we began mm-hmm. to investigate, and I think, you know, you had me on the first time talking about the Uyghur five years ago. When I began to investigate, I said, oh my gosh, I myself am culpable in this. American brands are participating in this. Now, Nike doesn't go over there and have their representatives standing on the walls of concentration camps making sure their products are being made, but they work with distributors and they know very well they cannot certify or prove or demonstrate that these products are not being made by forced labor. And there are definitely instances where it's clear that they have been using distributors that use forced labor, Uyghur forced labor, separated from their family, their home, forced to go uh, a, a cultural genocide. And, you know, this Rubio bill is a, is a great bill. And to think that these, these American companies are lobbying Congress to, kill, to gut this bill, what we need to do is appeal to who they are. And I always put myself in their shoes. If you want to influence someone, you got to put yourself in their shoes. So Apple's probably like, we don't want a bill that forces us to certify our products aren't being made by forced labor. That And, and, and there are penalties for us. Uh, how are we ever going to be able to certify that? We need to work with them. You know, we need to work Congress and the House and Senate need to make sure they have a good bill that is practical 
and doable. And then if it's not, well, then we need to, if there's no way that we can certify products, then American companies need to pull out of China completely. Just don't do business there. If I can't certify that products weren't made by slaves, then I can't make products in your country. If I'm driving down the road and I see a what looks to be a body bag with something moving around inside it, if I don't know that's not a, a human being in that, I don't drive over it. Mm-hmm. So what the Rubio bill did is it's a very simple bill. It says, listen, all you have to do is certify your products aren't being made by slaves. Seems kind of fair. And then if these companies are like, no, we don't want that, that means that they know they would be liable. That means they know that there's a forced labor market and that they may have from time to time, knowingly or unknowingly, benefited from that, profited off of slave labor, which means you and I, Sheila, when we walk into these stores and go, how can I buy three nice shirts for $10? Yeah. Uh, well, that's how. Uh, maybe maybe we know now. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe when you have products made by slaves, that explains why when you go, uh, there's companies, I, I mean, you know, you walk in these stores and you see the Made in China logo and you're like, three beautiful shirts for $12. You're like, how is that? How does that yeah. work? So then we need, that's where we need to push back. So there are all these ways people are getting ideas right now. Like, I never thought of that. You know, I was just happy to get this really great buy. And, and, so, and yet so much is coming available to us and online, especially who's not shopping online these days. And you see these prices, you think this is great. Well, when it arrives, it arrives, you know, made in China, or even there's a, a little insert in there that, you know, literally has the, the, the red star stamp on it. And some of the writing is in Chinese and some of it is sort of poor uh, translation of English. It's kind of, kind of funny that they, they don't have better translations uh, into English, but, but you, you realize this is all, you know, coming from China. Why are we still doing so much business when there's so much uh, persecution there? Of, I know Reggie Littlejohn is really big on always trying to spread awareness of especially forced abortions on women in China. And, and yet they want to be the world's number one superpower. And so many people are afraid to speak out about this. And meanwhile, it's enabling them to continue doing this. Jason, we're kind of covering a lot here. I know it's kind of overwhelming for people who aren't even used to hearing about this, don't know about this, and now they're hearing about so much. They've heard about abortion for a long time. January, we had the anniversary of Roe again, Roe and Doe both. And then the East Coast, West Coast, March, Walk for Life, all the other in-between activities going on to, to put our awareness again on human life in the womb. And as again, I said earlier, on, on this day we're speaking right now, it is the International Day of Awareness Against Human Trafficking. Something I learned, Jason, a few years ago on my, my radio show, it's just stunned me when a human trafficking expert, an international human trafficking expert was on the show and she said to the listeners, don't think this is going on out there somewhere, over there somewhere, far away, big places far away from you. She said, it's, it's, if you're in, wherever you are, she said, you can be out in some nice suburb of some major city in America. And she said, I promise you, it's probably happening in your local strip mall right around the corner from your house. And I asked her what she meant by that. And she said, so the women listening know that, you know, a lot of these strip malls have nail salons and they're usually run by various Asian owners. And she explained how usually you can tell when you go in and you, if you frequent the place, especially, but even one time, there's one usually guy in charge 
and then the people who do the, you know, the customer, individual customers, whether it's nails or, you know, pedicure, manicure, she said that you can tell by the way they don't want to engage in conversation. They don't even make eye contact with you usually. And the, uh, this guy who's running the, the operation doesn't want to see them being talked to by the customers. He doesn't want that engagement. I thought, I'll be darn. I mean, I think she's, I, I've only been in one of those places like twice when it was an emergency for an event I was going to. And I thought the one I went into, she's right. And it, Jason, what didn't surprise me, it disappeared before long, it went away. But here's what she was driving at. She said, many of them are trafficked. And she said they're brought here and the, own, the, the guy who runs it and is their boss has their passports. And they're too afraid to speak out about that because he, they know he, they're going to get punished later and he's got their passports and they can't go anywhere. Jason, the calls started to come in on the call board. And one of the callers was a police officer in the suburbs of Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. And he said, I am so glad you and your guest are talking about this. He said, what she said is true. And what getting that information out there, what she said about the nail salons, for one thing, he said, helps us a lot in the work we're trying to do. So people can contact us if there's even a hint on their part that this is happening near you. And so uh, can you believe that that's how close human trafficking can get to us? No, you know, it's, um, yes. And What's sorrowful about that is the way, again, these big corporations cause this problem. Let me walk you through how. When those of us try to have an immigration policy that's sane with a secure border, a mandatory verification system, what that does is that protects migrants from being lured into our country for exploitation. Also, when you have a mandatory verification system, it guarantees that everybody working in this country has the same protections, legal protections. But we have people that are living in like robber baron times, you know, like they have, they're completely devoid. We have this entire, regardless, you know, I'm a conservative Republican, full disclosure. You know, I, I think that I, you know, if someone's a progressive Democrat, they want more uh, workplace protections and, some of us want less. Some of us think minimum wage should be $15 or $20 or whatnot. But we all agree that there should be workplace protections. We may draw the lines in different places. But what does it matter if we don't have a mandatory simple to use verification system? Again, I don't want to burden small business owners um, with some complex or expensive problem. It's already hard enough to keep a business going. But you know, if we can land a, a, a rover on Mars, we can figure out a way, especially with all this technology we have in our apps and our phones, to to uh, for for employers to and, and so we can know that the people working in an establishment are legal, and that way they can have the full workplace protection that you and I would have, right, Sheila? If you mm -hmm. and I go work in a nail salon, uh, God forbid I'd cut someone's foot with that cheese grater thing. Uh, <laughs> you don't want me to, you know, <laughs> I would be horrible at that job. But if we were working there, we would have an architecture of legal protection mm -hmm. that I, I have to imagine if they have their passport, these women um, have no legal protections there because yeah. they're illegal. Right. And I don't mean to use that in a way that's dehumanizing, but it is dehumanizing that they don't have workplace protections. Right. And I'm a very permissive immigration guy. Like I like people 
I like the diversity, bring everyone here. As many people as we through the democratic process want to bring, bring them. Uh, my wife is Chinese. My, my, um, you know, first generation, my, my brother-in-law's first generation uh, from Mexico. We're all, my family's big and broad and beautiful and diverse, but, but it should be through the democratic process mm -hmm. and our immigration laws should be designed to protect the vulnerable, the vulnerable migrants and mm -hmm. also the most vulnerable Americans whose jobs are undercut when they can hire people that, that are outside of the law. Again, like, like Carter Sneed said in his book, that when you separate the body from the law, you separate the vulnerable from legal protection. And that's all we want, right? We want people to be protected. Right. And it's funny, I have nasty feet. And I don't know if I should say that on a podcast. And, <laughs> okay. and I don't wear shoes. And my wife and I go get pedicures. And my wife being Asian and me being a howly boy, they, they do talk to us. You know, they always light up and see us. And they're a little confused. Um, but then we both, we both, my wife will kill me for saying this. We both really need pedicures a lot. And uh, I think they're probably, oh no, here comes the, the ugly feet couple. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, they but always you're giving light them up. business. Yeah, but they light up when they see us. They're always, they're always wanting to chat. But I, I have to imagine like anything else. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of these industries, there's a lot of people that are working that do not have the full protection of the law. Right. And that's what we want. Amen. And, and, and they probably light up because they know that you're, Jason, there's so much to this. They know that you're going to talk with them. You, they know you're going to listen to them. And so many people don't. It's, it's like the art of, of conversation again, right? It's both talking and listening. So listening to somebody gives them dignity, but they probably also know about you and your wife. You're going to talk and listen and engage with them by looking them in the eye. And that right there gives them their dignity. When you look someone in the eye, and especially the people who lower their head and don't want you to look at them and don't want to look at you, like this, this uh, human trafficking expert told me, they don't want to look up. They don't want to look at you. They're ashamed and, and they keep their head down. That's a sign right there. And that should alert you to notify the officials, at least to check the place out. We That's really want to help. The that is really interesting. And you know, I, that never even crossed my mind. So this, I'm, I'm learning something here. And um, it's important, Jason. So before, while I still have you, before I let you go, a couple of things that are, that are really important to me because I'm really fired up about everything movie to movement does about Benjamin Watson's and in, in your divided hearts of America. That's a movie that needed to be made. It needed to be made by Benjamin Watson with with your help and the help of the others you named. But this is so important and the way he does it is just so perfectly well. And, and yet, unfortunately, like so many other good movies, well, fortunately, unfortunately, it came, it came out, it couldn't be in movie theaters when they were shut for COVID. But now, right now, as you said, people have the opportunity to get it in so many ways. You can find it at movietomovement.com. The other thing you said, Jason, about that, and I want you, anything you, more you want to say about Divided Hearts of America, Ben Watson, or the, your other movies, please say it because movies reach people in ways that maybe news stories won't, or even Christopher Dawson said in around 1935 about the church in the modern state, that people learn more from movies, or he called it cinema, than they do in the, in the churches or in chapels. He said, because they are so formed by 
by that world of film and story and, and theater than they are by sermons. And I thought, oh my gosh, she said that in like the 1930s and here we are today and look where people are today. But that's how powerful movie is. So movie to movement is doing this. Divided Hearts of America can be found there now. And Jason, when you said supporting the work you do at, at movie to movement and the Vulnerable People Project with something like, as you said, $5 a month, I wanna jump on that for a minute. And, and have you explain to people what difference even that would make? Because at the end of 2020, when I was doing some year-end giving at the very last minute on, on, on New Year's Eve, I'm thinking, oh, I got to fit some more in here. I got to like hurry up and get more in while it's still 2020, you know, up to midnight. And so I was looking, I don't have the funds I had before to do as much as I did before. By gosh, I'm going to do more. And God can't be outdone his generosity. So I was looking at your appeal and you were asking people for something so minimal. I thought, oh my gosh, how could that even help? So I donated something very small and I was going to write you an apology email and say, I'm so sorry, Jason, right now, this is all I can do, but I'll do more later. So tell people why even $5 a month uh, can help and go a long way. Well, Sheila, I saw your donation. It meant the world to me. And, I, and when my friends support me, because we live in a world where all of our friends run apostolates so you know <laughs> right. i can't keep all of my friends i you know i can't wow. but i guess i could i could give a quarter you know but <laughs> when all of your friends run apostolates it is what it is but but first of all it really does add up in our in our in our donors you know there's major gifts and there's the small donors but those don't the small donors are, are the most important part really um and they are actually the biggest part of our donor base and so when you do that five dollars ten dollars a month or you know, we have regular donors to do 150 or 500 a month. That allows us to budget. My, um, it means the world to us and it's how we get our mission done. And let me say it matters. For example, um, right now, it breaks my heart that we don't have a really big marketing budget for Divided Hearts of America. And we're like, we're scrimping and we're scraping, scraping by. And we, we did a lot of, we did a big spend. We did billboards across the country and radio ads all across the country in the fall for the the, the video on demand release. And now we're sort of, you know, squeezing out everything we can uh, to promote this film. But every donation really means, you know, $5. What does that mean? That means like a thousand people on Facebook can see mm -hmm. our movie link, see our wow. trailer. And, you know, that's what I love about movies like Divided Hearts of America. Benjamin Watson's been doing all this press. You know, we were in Hollywood Reporter. We were on Fox News so many times. We are on your show so many times. We were on Laura Ingram. And every time we do the promotion, we're reaching millions of people with the pro-life. Right. Then we did $500,000 in radio ads. Those radio ads reached millions and millions and millions of people. So it's the earned media, the paid media, and the movie. It's all a wall of sound telling the truth about the human person. Yeah. The other reason why I ask people to do a, a gift is, really, um, I think it's a privilege to, to donate to us. And so when you give that $5, you know you're, you're shoulder to shoulder something that really always breaks my heart is if I'm at a dinner party and someone, they hear what I do or someone will say, oh, he did this or he did that. And someone will say, all I do is X. And I'm like, well, do you, you know, what do you, do you support organizations? Oh yeah. I'm a, I just donated to a new wing for this pregnancy center. I helped them buy this maternity home. I'm like, do you realize you, you are the most important partner in our organizations. Mm -hmm. I look at it that all of us, everyone listening to your show Sheila is living the apostolic life, but they run businesses. They do all these different things and they tithe. Um, I think I have the best part of the deal that I get to wake up all day, every day and directly do the apostolate 
And I am so grateful to our donors that do what it is they do and that gives them the, 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 the gift of being able to donate, the privilege to donate to support all these causes. Um, because I suspect many of them in their imagination would like to wake up every day and live the apostolic life. And they are, but they don't mm -hmm. feel it. I feel it. I know it. They, they sit down with their wife or their husband and they, in the kitchen, they write out the checks and they go through the lists and they go through the envelopes. Then they may not feel it, but they need, you need to understand that when you tithe and when you support all these apostolates, that you are living just as much as those of us who work at apostolates, you are living the apostolic life. Um, and it means the world. It's, I mean, you, you were with me when I tried to raise the money uh, for a film and for publicists and for um, lobbyists leading up before there was ISIS. When I saw you, saw me, you went to an event, I failed. I failed to put together a project that was really designed for Christians in the Middle East to lobby and to get publicity for the, the genocide we saw coming before it came. Yeah. And I, it weighs heavy on me that we never got that off the ground, that I couldn't get participation from donors. And do I believe that, that we could have stopped that genocide? I do. I think it was ISIS was the JV team and that JV team committed horrible crimes. Do I believe that now we can get those camps, those concentration camps uh, shut down before they become outright genocide termination camps? I do. I really do in all of these initiatives, um, it has to do with donor support. That's what it is. That's why people need to hear that. They need to hear, okay, then that's the difference I can make right in my own home, sitting down, whether it's writing a check, going online, doing it another way, but just committing whatever you can. And you, as you say, Jason, if it's $5 a month, you know what you can budget for when you look at, at, at the collective group of people who have let you know what they can do for you each month. And that, that I know very well, that helps you budget for all the work you do. And I love that you say you have the privilege of doing, but they have the privilege of helping you. And we, we will never know on this side of the veil, all of us, you and I doing the work the way we do it. People who, who fund the work you do to help you do it. We will never know on this side of the veil, the work that the, the, the fruits of that labor in the lives that that are that may have been saved and certainly jason the souls that may have been saved as a result of the work ours is to just get out there and do it and do anything that crosses our path because god put us on that path for a reason and brought us to cross paths with others for a reason we may not see or know again in this life but there is a reason for it and we need to just follow the spirit be open to that and then do what we can do and, and God will do the rest. I know you believe that it's all over your, your page on uh, the vulnerable people project, movie to movement.com and uh, the great campaign.org. All of it's there. Thank you so much for all you do, Jason. We're going to talk again soon, but thanks for being here today to give us an update. Thanks, Sheila. Can I can I share a real quick, beautiful little story? Absolutely, anytime. Okay, there's this this Jewish folktale, a Yiddish folktale, of a rabbi who had healing abilities, and he asked this woman, um, who had, her her prayers were always for her infertility to be cured, for her infertility to be cured. And this this traveling itinerant rabbi came by and had asked for this, this very poor woman um, for some food, and and she had shared it with him. And immediately she was cured of her infertility. Um, then the story was told 
to another woman who was infertile. And then she offered the rabbi that was telling the story um, a tithe so that she could be cured for her infertility. And the rabbi said, well, no, it wouldn't work because you have the story. She mm -hmm. gave without the story and so was healed. And, and that's how I feel of donors. This is not a big pitch for us. If you're listening, I, I know you're already donating to all sorts of beautiful groups. And it's, it's, that's to me, those of us who work for apostolates, we have the stories. I know the stories of the girls who chose life because they saw Bella. I am friends with the Yazidi girls we met in Iraq that are now um, getting care for it, cared for in the United States. But so many times the donors see they give without having the privilege of knowing the stories. And I think their grace, because God is just, will be much more than what those of us who get to know the stories get. We know the stories. We, we get to sit and hear it. And that those of you who sit down and you're sending checks just sometimes maybe out of a pious duty, you're, you're, you're giving without knowing the stories. And um, that must come with amazing grace. It, it will come with amazing grace, as you and I've talked about before on your show, the Jason Jones show on, on podcasts, any place people can download podcasts. That's, that's a wonderful one. But when we talked there, Jason, I told you about it, the United Nations, the, um, the, 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 the United Nations session that I was a part of several years ago on genocide and other mass atrocities committed against uh, religious Christians and re other religious minorities. It was powerful. And among the many very, very powerful uh, addresses or wit, just, just words, anybody who came there on the panels spoke, uh, there was a young Yazidi girl. And so to be there with, with some big name people, well-known faces and voices, all the way to the, 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 the Yazidi slave girl who was able to escape and broke down crying through a translator trying to tell her story, of the horrors she went through while she was still captive. I mean, to have the honor of standing there with the Archbishop of Aleppo, Syria, having him tell through my recording of our voices what his people back in Aleppo, Syria, who were being bombed at that time, what they wanted us to hear in America and at the United Nations, that's a privilege that the people who are sending in the five, $25, whatever, a month to the Vulnerable People Project, Movie to Movement, thegreatcampaign.org, that's what they don't get the privilege of seeing as you and I do right there on the front lines. But as you say, Jason, because they don't, they'll, they will have great graces given to them that they didn't see, but they believed. And they gave to that because they they did believe and they had that faith that what we're saying is true and they know us so they know what we're saying is true and the need is very real and very great so thank you for all you do for those in need for the vulnerable people i stand with you my friend always uh, i may be in your shadow but you're out there in front leading so many people on the vulnerable people campaign and in movie to movement, bringing great beauty to people in ways that will touch their heart and soul. Thank you, Jason. Sheila, thank you for always lending your audience to our message. Um, you're a great friend. You are a great friend indeed, and we'll talk again soon. Aloha. That's all for now. Plenty more to come. Thanks for being part of the conversation. Please share the link and invite others to join us next time here in the forum.